Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. This is a conversation that I've been so looking forward to having because life is about conversations. And in this conversation, I hope you get 1% better. If you get 1% better from this conversation, mission accomplished. This guy that's on with me today is a podcaster. He teaches people how to ask better questions. And, and I'm up for the challenge because I really want to get into some, some good questions with Joe. And you can find him on Twitter at Ferraro, F-E-R-R-A-R-O, on air. But you can find Joe Ferraro right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, what's good? How you doing? How can you not be fired up with an intro like that? You know, and, you know, regardless of when we're recording it, you bring the radio voice. And uh, I appreciate your work, Brian. Joe, I got to give a shout out to my my main man, Marsh Bice, who, who connected us and Marsh is the host of the Sales Life with Marsh Spice podcast. You can get that and find that where you get podcasts. And Marsh is a big fan of your work. And, and so it was natural when I have friends that that love the work other people do. I, I want to talk to them. And your concept is so good. So let me start here. How has COVID in the last 18 months or so changed your conversations? Because there's a lot of things in the world that are changing, right? Businesses are not going to do what they've done before. Uh, companies have had to pivot and rethink how business is done. But let's let's take that to conversations. How have your conversations changed in the last eighteen months or so? Well, first of all, Marsh Spice is so good, right? I mean, he's just he's so smooth; it's unbelievable. So we appreciate that. There's people get brought together for reasons. I know you believe that. Yeah. I think what happens is when we share a digital screen and a microphone. What really comes to the surface is how banal, how boring, how dull a conversation can become if we don't approach it from a curious place, an empathetic heart, and, and a place of curiosity and, and just creativity, quite frankly. So I think what's happening is we're having so many more conversations in a different form, and we have people tuning out, and we have people saying, I'm going to do three things at once. So the awareness that it's brought to people, I think has been, has been a gift, a, a secretly veiled gift. When I'm in the classroom now, you know, we're trying to keep people's attentions and make, make people understand the value that's in it for them. But I think also we see what's possible. We see that when you really have a, a good conversation, it goes, it elevates, it elevates the relationship, the respect, the rapport you have for someone. And you start saying things like, wow, I've never been asked that before. And that's a really interesting way to put it. And we started really having a deeper appreciation for the craft of conversation by just a terrible accident. Yeah. I love what you just said there about the elevation of great conversation, because Joe, here, here's the thing. A lot of people have taken conversation and they put it into 250 characters on Twitter, or they've taken it and they put it in a text message. And a lot of nuance gets lost and things like that in conversation where the power of a podcast, and we'll get into your podcast here in just a few minutes. The power of a podcast is really, and, and I don't know how you believe, but I believe this way. I believe there's an invisible chair sitting next to me. 
and people can see you and I talking on the screen like we're talking and recording this podcast. But there are times that I feel an, an, an invisible tap on my shoulder saying, Brian, ask Joe this. Hey, I would really love to know this in a conversation. You, you, when you talk about elevating a conversation, how much discovery comes from elevating a conversation or how much discovery when you're caught, when you're having those conversations, how much discovery do you pull out of a conversation? Well, I think you tapped into one of the things that people don't discuss a lot, which is that third person, right? That listener that is not the person you're having the conversation with in that way. I think that's the built-in stakes, right? So I, I like to say like a conversation is a heightened form when you're doing a podcast, right? I, people yeah. say, People say, well, you know, I want my podcast to sound like normal everyday conversations, but I actually in invert that. I want my everyday conversations to feel more like podcasts. And what that happens to do is you, you got to think about an audience. What would the audience want me to ask Brian next? What would the audience want to know? So it's not a self-serving Brian picks Joe's brain, Joe picks Brian's brain because there's a third party involved. So that invisible tap it resonates with me. I, I, I just think of a triangle for me, right? I think it's it's you, it's me, and then it's someone on the treadmill. It's someone driving a car. And, yeah. and what would they ask next that would really open this up and just heighten the stakes? Well, and, and here's what I'm thinking about as you're saying that. I, I'm an avid football fan, obviously wearing a Cincinnati Bengals t-shirt as I record a podcast. People do not hear the conversations between the play caller in a lot of cases, it's the head coach talking into a microphone to the quarterback's headset. Only the quarterback can hear what the com what that conversation is. And it's really a one-way conversation. Here's the play. And now the conversation in the huddle is it's translating what's coming through the headset and making sure everybody's involved. And so it's it's really what people see when the play is is in motion is the one-way conversation that's happening between the head coach and the play caller. What, what you just said there about everyday conversations turning into podcasts, I love that concept because then it gets everybody involved and everybody kind of gets to pull the curtain back and see what really dives in and makes that, that thing happen. And, and when you were saying that, that's kind of what was going through my mind is sometimes that we can feel like in a conversation it's it's information delivery instead of connecting through words and through the medium and the power of words how do you take if somebody asks you that joe and they say why well joe how do i turn my conversation to the podcast how does someone keep themselves from turning into a one-way conversationalist well, first of all, I never heard that analogy with the headset. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to stew on that a little bit. I, I like where you're going. You with should that. steal that. I, I, you go ahead, man. <laughs> I, I, I'll just throw, I'll just throw it to you. You can have that one. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of preparation and I think preparation can take many forms. You and I have, have kicked around the tires a little bit on our craft and how we prepare. I think that the, the absence of preparation is not an option, but I think different styles of preparation are. Um, I don't script a lot of questions, but I have a lot of threads and a lot of ideas that I yeah. want to to ask people. Um, so I, I do think uh, a, a typical thing that happens on a podcast conversation, it can happen in real life, is someone will say something like, hey, what do your parents do for a living? And it's nothing wrong with the question, 
But what I get the advantage of in my craft is I get to listen to someone on a podcast before I interview them. I hear that they ask that question. And then instead of saying, hey, what do your parents do for a living? I can say, hey, I know your mom was a teacher and that had to have an impact on you. What was the lesson that really she taught? So I kind of skipped the line is how I think about it. I get a freebie is what I call it, right? I get a free question. I only get a finite amount of time with my guest. So if I can skip the line, if I can get a freebie, now we just get a level deeper just by definition, right? I think that might make sense for people. It's a simplistic example, but if you can just go one level deeper without having to ask, all of a sudden you're you're on a different layer, if you would, on the conversation. And I think that can transfer over into everyday life, right? The listening skills. You overheard someone say something somewhere else that they don't remember speaking about. And now all of a sudden you've bought yourself rapport by just actively listening and caring. Yeah. I love what you said there about going one level deeper in conversation because everybody feels like there there are times, Joe, that people kind of overcomplicate conversation. You know, people will say, well, you have to actively listen. You have to, to this and that. For me, I can hear what you're saying because I'm taking it in. I'm, I'm letting that, that conversation come in instead of going, well, I have to make sure. It, it's almost like a checklist. Like some people will, will, will take a checklist and they'll say, well, I have to make sure I'm active listening. I have to make sure I'm making eye contact. I have to make sure I'm doing this. And for me, those things are a little more natural. I had to train myself how to make eye contact, but I'm trying to take in and I'm taking notes as well because I want to take that in and then go, well, Joe, you know, expound a little bit on that or, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. And Joe, I feel like people miss it sometimes. I feel like all the box, I, I feel like people are internally checking boxes to make sure they're doing everything right in conversation except being an active part of the conversation. Yeah, I think there's an exercise there for people, right? Having having a conversation with someone that you might record and having no notes and no paper and maybe one question and just seeing where it goes. You know, I read today an analogy that the late Steve Shapiro brought up about pulling a wagon. If you pull one of those kids' wagons, it just kind of goes. It's beautiful. It's smooth. But if you push it, it gets very jagged. It gets very wonky. And I think in a conversation, we're trying to pull the very best out of someone in a very smooth fashion. And if you push it, you can almost picture what would happen with the handle. You're just going back and forth and you're not really getting to where you want to go. So that was an analogy that I wanted to offer people today. And, and I think there is something about just being receptive, uh, that, that listening exercise that comes to mind where you wait 10 seconds before you respond. You can't do that on a podcast. We respect people's time too much. But if you imagine I say something in a conversation as an exercise and the recipient doesn't respond for 10 seconds, it'll feel like an eternity. Yeah. But what it does is gives you this freedom to say, I have a lot of creativity of where I might want to go next. Yeah. Well, and and again, going back to the football analogy, a lot of people think that a wide receiver catches the ball with their hands. But if you can't see what you're about to catch, or I, I was watching a play as we record this. I was watching a play Sunday in, in the Bengals game. It was a, it was an out pattern. Joe Burrow threw a pass to T. Higgins. T. Higgins turned his body before he caught the pass. And so he dropped the ball. It's an easy catch. But he was making thinking about making the football move before he actually secured possession of the ball. And that's where catching the football comes with your eyes first. 
and then getting your hands in play. And I think a lot of people, Joe, I believe a lot of people when when they're having conversations, they want to they want to think about, okay, I've got to catch this, or instead of going, okay, what do I see in this piece of conversation that's going to help me build the rapport, like you talked about, or get that freebie? I love that getting that free question. Let me go here for just a second before we take a break. How do you think the pandemic will change conversation? Because it feels like to me that everybody has a different experience and everybody has had different experiences through these things. But are we really having good constructive conversations from it and the experiences that we've had around it? What do you kind of put your 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 crystal ball in front of you? How do you see conversations changing in, after everything is said and done? My hope is that we embrace the power of conversation, particularly as it relates to a little bit of novelty. And I don't mean novelty store knockoffs. I mean, there's only so many times you can rehash the same old story. You know, it's, it's kind of why I, I shy away from asking people, why did you write this book? It's a, it's a nice question I'd love to ask, but the reality is, you know, every author who's written a book has a story of why they wrote the book and they're going to just regurgitate that story. So I want to get to a deeper place. I want to lean towards novelty. I want to ask, what did your wife say when you got the advance? I want to say, what was the hardest chapter that to write? What was the one that surprised you? It came out of the pen easily. I want to ask novel questions. So when we, when we see someone in our everyday lives and we're trying to encourage them, I just don't know how far we get with, how's it going? I understand as a starting point. I'm not saying you got to get into yeah. the real deep part early, but, but for crying out loud, can't we embrace the short time we have on this earth? by really asking questions from a place of curiosity that will awaken something within the person. Yeah. Sort of like when you paint your room and you hit a muscle in the back, you're like, I didn't even know I had a muscle behind my left shoulder. It's kind of, it feels good, but wow, I didn't work it out for a while. That's what I want the conversation to feel like. Like, like no one asks me that. No one ever asks me that. Let's talk about that. It's a new novel and, and really creative way to, to approach it. So that's what I hope comes out of this is let's let's value each other's time by having damn good conversations. Well, and, and to your point, and, and selfishly, it, it's something I like to do as well, too. I'm looking for those two or three V8 moments with that guest. That, that I can ask a question and they can go, man, I never thought about that before. And, and I'm sure you've had this. Like, you'll have somebody that'll say, I've never told that in conversation, yeah. or I've never said that on a podcast. You, you could interview somebody. You could have a conversation with somebody that has done a thousand podcasts. And, and, and it, it is, it's perfect, man. When you hit that question that somebody goes, man, I've never... I've never talked about that. I don't, or they'll say, I don't know why I'm going here with you, but it, you know, you, you brought it up. So I'm going here. I, I love that, man. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, and by the way, I've got a tad bit of beard envy. I'll just say that up front. If you're watching, if you're watching on the intentional encourager podcast, YouTube channel, I, I've got the thin and gray going on. And my man, Joe Ferraro is rocking the nice full beard. So if you see a little bit of beard envy, 
from your boy here. It's it's you know you you'll know what's going on. We come back. I want to talk about Joe's podcast and what he does to teach people how to have better conversations. Get one percent better. You're going to get one percent better with Joe Ferraro. Come back with us on the Intentional Courage podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Joe, I, I this has been so good, man. This is just exactly what I wanted. Let's go here for a second. I see people a lot and, and I've had people come to me and you've had people come to you and you, you they say, well, how do you podcast? How do you get started with it? It seems like podcasting is, is the new th kind of the cool hip thing. Um, microphones are easy to buy. Equipment's easy to get set up, things like that. I think you really hit on something though that's the key to a podcast and that is taking something that doesn't feel like an interrogation and make it, and I've said this on social media, people, I believe don't, people don't want interrogations. They want conversations. When you think about 1% better, what does 1% better to you sound like when you record a podcast? Every time you do a podcast, what's 1% better sound like to you? Well, it's, it's gotta be a conversation that comes from a place of curiosity, right? I've been, I've been doubling and tripling down on curiosity. Be, be curious, not judgmental. I mean, it's a beautiful quote from Whitman that got popular, popularized and uh, a show that I like quite a bit. Um, so we start there. I think that there's a lot of, of, of ways to go with this, but one thing I'd like to highlight is you have to have great guests, right? You, you've had a lot of great guests. I'm honored to be here. And uh, to put myself in that company feels flattering because you're choosing people with a with an open heart and curiosity. And then that gives the platform some credibility. You really want to be in there. When I have the conversation with people, um, I just want to get, um, I want to bring out their very best, right? I want their time with me to feel like, wow, Joe brought something out in me, uncovered something in me, sort of like what's happening here, right? You're getting me thinking, you're getting me, wow, I got to really think of a better way to articulate that. Or I'm, I like how I spoke about that. This, this learning through conversation. I think there's so many nooks and crannies to explore. Um, and then the best part is I can take the guests who have brought on and we can talk about what is their particular area of expertise to help other people get better at that. So I might have a public speaking expert on, or I might have someone who's great with distribution and marketing. And I, I'm able to go in all these different places that I can then just gift to the listener. It's very satisfying. I want to ask you this. 
because in in the common question would be, okay, Joe, who's a guest you'd love to have on your podcast that you haven't had on your podcast? And and you could rattle off a host of names. Everybody could do that because it, it, you, you do have kind of that dream guest list. And, and again, you and I were talking about, we, we worked for a little while to get this going because you, you were saying things that resonated with me. I thought, man, I got to get this guy on. What's the, take me back to, in, in your mind, what's the one question you missed with a guest that after you recorded, you said, man, I missed it. Because I have those moments myself where you have that guest on, you really want to talk to, you've got something in the moment and, and you, you just miss it. Do you, do you remember a time, can you think about a time that there was a question that you wanted to ask that you missed? I tell you what, I may surprise you here. I don't think about it like that. I don't think about it like that. I'm going to give you a major error I made where I learned a lot. I had episode nine or five early on with Debbie Millman. I had just heard Debbie Millman on uh, Tim Ferriss's show and she was blowing up and I thought it was a little early to get a guest of her ilk. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is exciting. And I'm recording this in my parents' house. And I'm like, you know, in a minute, I'm going to go down and brag to them and they're not going to know who she is, but it's going to mean a lot to me. And I said, you know, here we go. We're recording. And my guest today is Debbie Millman. She's the chairperson of uh, Sterling, da, 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 ba, 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 ba. Now you did that. People, people might not realize you were a true pro. You read the intro while you looked at me, while you were recording, no edits. That was the, that was the last time in 200 episodes that I read the intro in front of the guest because Debbie goes, I, I got to stop you there, Joe. Sorry. I got to stop you. We're rolling. Um, I'm not with Sterling anymore. Um, I actually left and I, she corrected me now 200 episodes. I might be able to handle that really calmly to me. That was a blow to my research. And yeah. it was like, Whoa, like, now, how am I going to win her back? And the rest of, I'm not saying the episode didn't work, proud of it, but clunky for a while. So a lesson learned there, I'm not reading intros in front of my guests, but <laughs> not doing it. So I can't, I can't believe you just did that. That was beautiful. Now, here's what I, I think is the takeaway for people though. There's a scene in the movie Sideways where they describe how every bottle of wine is a different experience. This one may have just sat a little bit left. This one may have been, you know, aged a little longer. I feel like conversations are like that. So I have very little to no regrets on any question I didn't get to ask. Because if we have this conversation tomorrow, if I'm lucky enough to be back on this podcast someday, we will have a different conversation. If we tried to replicate this very conversation an hour from now, we would not be able to do it. Yeah. So I never spend an ounce of my energy. I re, you know, I, I re reflect and I think of a lot of things, but I never spend an hour, of, an ounce of my energy thinking about the one that got away when it comes to questions. And that's a mistake that a lot of podcasters make that I hear and, and interviewers make. And, and, and again, I love the approach you have because you're not an interviewer. You're, you're not an interviewer. You, you don't, you don't, and, and here's the thing, Joe, and, and I'm kind of going a little sideways here, but you'll know where I'm coming from. I don't want a guest to send me talking points. Don't send me talking points. If I'm not a good enough conversationalist to, to figure out where we can go, and I'm not a good enough host to drive where we can take the listeners, 
in places that, that we can take them, then you don't need to come on my podcast because talking points to me, it's almost kind of like, well, this is a script I've got to stick to and I can't ask any questions. And I, and I said this to somebody the other day, if you send talking points to somebody, you're missing the opportunity to have really good, spontaneous conversation. And that's what people are looking for. Have you ever thought about the perfect question and what that looks like? Because I, I feel like podcasters feel like, especially when they're getting started, they've got to be perfect. Man, they've got to land the plane right on the X, so to speak. Have you ever thought about the the perfect question and, and what you might, what would the perfect question look like to you, Joe? The perfect question, uh, I don't know what it would look like, but I, you know what it would sound like, right? You would have the voice change. I guess I do know what it would look like. It's a twinkle in the eye. It's looking up and to the left. It's a, a voice inflection change. It's uh, the person gets super excited about answering it. It's like when you frame it like that, Brian, I, I'm, I'm not actually thinking about it like the perfect question, meaning it's the best question ever. But actually, I'm looking at what you said, literally, the perfect question in the right time. You know, what comes to mind is uh, Samuel Coleridge defined poetry as the very best words in the very best order poetry, the very best words in the very best order. And that's what differentiates it from prose. And you can play around. You can have so much, you, there's so much more room in prose, but in poetry, you got to have it in the right order. And I think the perfect question is clear. I think it's from a place of curiosity. I think it's open-ended. And I think it, it, it just has this special something that, that maybe puts the words in the right order. I'm thinking about a quote from Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. What does he say? I think we did. I think we did. Like, I like just start saying Yeah, that? you want to do karate in the garage? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I got to check I'm, that movie out again. Yeah. Well, Joe, the, the reason I say that is you, you and I align very well in, in, in the way we, we style a conversation because it really is. And what I love about the work that you do and I'm going to be fanboy just for a minute. What I love about the work that you do is you're always pushing the envelope around conversations. You tend to push the envelope and make guys like me who feel, I feel like I ask good questions. You challenge me to get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And that's what I love is because that the, what happens is the rising tide lifts all boats. So when you and I get better and our listeners hear the product of us getting better, then they want to get better. And so, I, and, and again, this, this podcast is about encouragement, but there's, there's a lot of good application that can be taken from it just by asking the right questions. Where do you feel people struggle in, in asking the right questions? Because that's what, that's what, what part of your podcast serves is, is to get people to understand the kind of the concepts and nuances around great questions and things like that. But where do people struggle in asking great questions? Clarity. If it's not a clear question, we've wasted time, right? So we have to start and end in clarity. If my recipient doesn't know what I'm asking, I've failed. If we can nail clarity time and time and time again, 
with routine, then we can be clever. We can't be clear. We can't worry about being clever. So you, you hear, that's kind of why I think, you know, to use a sports metaphor, I think that's why so many young reporters recycle the same question. Talk about how you felt when you hit that last shot, right? It's not even a question. It's talk about, you know, a shot, but it's recycled because you know that athlete is trained to answer that question. And it's very low risk, very low reward, very safe. It's going to get you the, the quote that you need in the paper, but it's never going to un unhook magic like the way Roy Firestone used to do it, right? He'd have the athlete oh, on up man. close, right? Oh, you know, man. and he, would, he, he said one time, who did he say it to? He had someone on and I think it was Willie Stargell or someone really just amazing from the, the old days. And he said, after all these years, Willie, what do you know that's true? And it's just like, it's, it's like a crazy question, but it's so beautiful, yeah. right? What do you know to be true? Now let's, let's take that example. If you're an opening podcaster and you're just getting your feet wet, you're going to really have a lot, a lot of problems if you go to that question, because it's not clear. It's only clear in the hands of a master like Roy, because he's earned the clarity he's built who's, up to. Who's it. had thousands of those conversations and, and knows how to, to read a guest and knows how to, when he's sitting three feet across the, the table from them, to know where that guest can see the wheels turning in the mind, can see what that guest is. I'm glad. Let's go there for a second. You've opened it up. Let's go there. Yeah. It, it infuriates me. And I said this in a tweet the other day. I didn't want to hear the Bengals press conference post game because they were going to ask the, the majority of the Cincinnati media asked the dumbest questions in the world. And I have friends. I have a good friend of mine that's been on this podcast that covers the Carolina Panthers. I've known him for 30 years. He asked great. I've seen his press conference. He asked really good questions. It's the difference of trying to get in to ask a question because your boss says, well, why am I sending you to this presser if you're not asking any questions? Or sitting back and waiting for the right question to ask. That that is that isn't, hey, why did you call a run on fourth and two? Mm. Maybe the thought, maybe that question would be better asked of, hey, look, in typical late game situations, that's a pretty conservative call to make on fourth and two, as you well know. What what did you see in that in that moment? that caused you to check to the run play. What what were you trying what were you trying to other than a first down? Was there some advantage you were trying to gain by doing that? And I love what you said there because the question seemed to be so generic. You're like, "My goodness, I could ask a better question. Give me Zoom access. Let me ask a question." And you mentioned Firestone. Roy Firestone is a legendary interviewer in the world of sports. He he had a knack of just being able to ask that beautiful question like you just said and just really get it dialed in. And, and Joe, I've said this, and forgive me for a long-winded spot here in the, in the conversation. I've always thought if I had 30 minutes to sit down with Tiger Woods, I'd spend about five talking golf. Yeah, I, I, I would want to know, hey, Tiger, you grew up a basketball fan. What basketball players influence the way you play the game of golf? Hey Tiger, tell me you're you're a you're a Stanford football fan. What's your relationship like with Coach Shaw? What what can you learn from a guy like David Shaw? You know, what, but what, see how you see if I could jump in. See how you said that you're a Stanford 
fan and you knew that that, that it's it's a basic level of research. It's not you're not going to win a, a Nobel for uncovering the Stanford ties. Yeah. But what you would get from someone who's a little greener would they would say, "What's your favorite college team?" And you would lose credibility in his eyes and you wouldn't get that because you're only getting a finite amount of time. We've said it before. Yeah. So you got the freebie, right? You threw in the knowledge, you know, it's a, it's a technique I teach some of my, my coaching clients, preface then question. Sometimes it's preface, preface question. You go, you're a, you're a lifelong Stanford fan. You've seen hundreds of athletes, and I know you study greatness. Who's the basketball player that influenced your golf? Boom, you hit him with boom, preface, boom, preface, question. And it shows credibility. It doesn't waste anybody's time. It's not grandiose, and you're on to the next thing. Beautiful answer coming your way from that. And he talks about golf. 95% of the time, most of those guys, Joe, I would think are dying for somebody to ask him something else. Yeah. I rock mean, stars always want to talk about sports. Athletes always want to talk about music. Yeah, you know, yeah. you go those routes. Yeah. Athletes want to be rappers and rappers want to be athletes. Yeah. That's exactly right, man. This has been beautiful conversation. When we come back. I want to get into Joe's story. I want to, I want to peel this onion back a little bit deeper and let you see the guy behind the questions. I'm talking to podcaster Joe Ferraro, my friend, and I, I want you to come back. We're going to have more great conversation here on the Intentional Courage Podcast back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons, from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Joe, let's settle in and tell your story now. And 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 I want you to just take as much room and expanse as you want to and go as far back as you want to and tell your story, some challenges that you've overcome. And, and I'll jump in with, with questions, but I just want to tell your story. Mm. Well, that's very kind of you to open the mic there. I, and I, I, I love to give candor and, and full heartedness to, to the Intentional Encourager podcast audience. And I'll just start with where I'm at today. We, we, it's my 23rd year in the classroom as a teacher. And uh, we got the news today that we had lost one of our former students. Um, you know, Caitlin is no longer with us. She's uh, in her 20s and was in her 20s and uh, someone that every teacher can picture her face. And 
we got the news that that she passed away from a heart condition that people really didn't know about and it was sudden and just just tragic and i, I don't say that to bring people down but we start to hear things like that and we say what is the profession of education and communication all about right what are we doing if we're so hell-bent on our curriculum that we can't have relationships and we can't have um, moments of genuine connection? Uh, so I spent the commute home uh, leaving some voicemails for people, one, a former student that I'm still in touch with, one, a colleague who comes to mind when I think of Caitlin, um, one, my wife, and just sharing memories of this extraordinary person who would come back for alumni events, who we can recite things that she said and wrote. And, and we're not painting a picture of the valedictorian, a once in a lifetime skill academic person. We're painting the portrait of a human being that is at the center of our work. Joe, what and was I her impact on you? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I've, I've got to pull that out because if you're watching on YouTube, I, I can see the emotion on your face. It's, it's very palpable. Yeah, what was she, her impact on you specifically? Exuberance every day, right? Paying attention with, with a, with a desire to learn, uh, visiting in those moments in between classes, coming back to see how you're doing, um, you know, going into, uh, professions in which she writes you an email and tells you how some of the things, uh, impacted you. And then her, her reach with other students who didn't even graduate the same year. So when you think about that, right, she was a guest at Alumni Classroom, which is an annual uh, reunion that I do that's part English class, part TED Talk, part trivia. There's a lot of fun things that we do to bring the community together. And um, the reason I share that story, though, is because, you know, we want our work to be meaningful, whether it's a, a classroom, yeah, whether it's a, a podcast community whether it's coaching a client. And, um, and I think that that's, that's like the, the arrow point of where I'm at 23 years in. But we've also just had just countless beautiful memories as well, right? Whether it's uh, just thinking back to the, the early days of student teaching or whether it's thinking about the days when I played college baseball before I started coaching. I'm giving you snapshots instead of, instead of a full story, but I think that you can go so many directions with this. I, I was... Uh, I was the youngest college baseball coach in the country from ages 21 to 20, 26. Uh, and then that was a hectic lifestyle that didn't last long after I worked with six athletic directors in five years. So I moved on to coach at the high school level and I had more of an impact, more fun, more lasting memories at the high school level than I did at the college level, chasing the dream of being a big time coach. Now that I interview people on the podcast, you have just as much fun interviewing people that aren't yet as famous as the Seth Godins and the James Clears of the world. So if there's a thread that's run through my story, um, you know, it's, it's trying to have a, a real respect for the sense of community and to really use any skills that I've been able to sharpen over the years and practice through a thousand mistakes in the world of communication to kind of just help people communicate their very best, whether it's my students, my children, or my, my, uh, my clients or my listeners. It's just a, it's a thread that runs throughout. What did you take from coaching that made you a better podcaster? Because I, I did some coaching in high school baseball. I coached my son for two years. And, you know, at the high school level, as you know, you're teaching fundamentals, you're teaching situations. You, you know, hey, guys, and my son was an outfielder. He played left, he played left and center field. 
And we would say to him, okay, guys, we're working today on situations. You know, if a ball's hitting the gap, where are you going with the ball? If we have a runner on first, where are you going with the ball? If the ball's hit you in the gap and you fit, where are you going with it? Constantly getting them to think situationally. What did you take away? And you were the youngest coach. That That's unbelievable. The youngest college baseball coach in the country. There, there's a question around that, but but I want to go here first. What did you take away from coaching that has helped you in podcasting? I've never drawn the parallel, which I think is why people love your show, right? I've never drawn that parallel, which you've done a number of times today, so that's very cool. Um, I think I think you, you pointed me in the direction of this head-on-the-swivel mentality, right? When you're coaching, you're managing 20 players, student-athletes, and you're trying to keep the parents informed, and you're trying to keep the community up-to-date, and you're trying to win a game. You're trying to teach a lesson. You're trying not to hurt feelings. You want to be respectful to the umpire. Sometimes a podcast can feel that way. You know, it's like, all right, I want to go to break and I want to make sure that I get, you know, I, I have enough water and all the things behind the scenes that we never really know. And people don't realize like, and how do I distribute it now? And who do I send this to? And who do I invite? So I think it's that multitasking, you know, you know, phenomenon that no one really likes, but, but it becomes a necessity. I also think there's a delineation to make where you think like with coaching, you can't get too curious in the moment, whereas all that has to happen beforehand. Whereas on a podcast, we can just, as we've outlined here, we can just kind of settle in and ask that question. You know, there's something on my mind that I want to know what you meant by that. In coaching, if it's a game day specifically, there's so much go, go, go that it kind of mirrors the putting the podcast out. And I think there's some delineation there. That You've got the wheels turning right here. Okay, so so let's go here for a second. Because I grew up, Old school baseball, late 70s, early 80s, that's that mid-80s, that's my wheelhouse. And back then, managers would would quote unquote in air quotes, and for those listening and not watching, in air quotes, they would play hunches. They would say, <laughs> Okay, it, it's late in the game. There's a tough left. You mentioned Willie Stargell, one of the greatest left-handed hit power hitters in the history of baseball. And, and in the late 70s, the, the, the right, the, the, again, the quote-unquote right play was late in the game, runners on base, you bring in your best left-hander out of the bullpen, lefty on lefty, even though Willie Stargell could hit lefties. Back then, the, the conventional wisdom was in that situation, lefty on lefty, late in the game. Now, Joe... We've got all this analytics and we've got all this data driven. So a lot of times a manager will substitute a left-handed pitcher out and bring in a tough right-handed pitcher because the analytics say this guy doesn't hit the righty in these situations as well as he might hit the lefty that you've got in the game. So it's exact. It's the exact opposite of the way we've grown up around the game of baseball. When you think about your time coaching, were there some things that you had to kind of, you mentioned the head on the swivel, and that's a great analogy. Were there things that you had to turn differently in your mind from how you grew up playing and how you were managed yourself? Were, were there things that you had to nuance to, to kind of make things work the way you wanted them to? Yeah, you just pulled out a story I hadn't thought of in a long time. In my public speaking class, I have the sibling, the youngest sibling, of a former baseball player 
who is either now engaged or married. And I'll never forget it, but I did forget it for a little while there. I had to pull one of my favorite kids to get to him. It was a bases loaded spot in a junior varsity tournament at Harrison. And one of my favorite players was up and he was struggling and he's a lefty. And there's a righty on the mound, perfectly Willie Stargell right here. And I said to myself, I got to bring in Rich. I, I just, I know he hasn't been hitting, but he'll find a way here. Rich comes in. My player that I just always go to bat for has to come out. I know I'm going to have to talk to him after the game. Rich hits a double down the right field line, opposite field. You know, in, in my mind's eye, it was a laser beam. It was probably off the knuckles over the first baseman's head. Yeah, just one of those wounded ducks that just lands perfectly. I'm waving right them. My, my arm's almost dislocating. I'm waving everybody and their cousin home. Two or three runs score. Rich is jumping around like a maniac on first. Doesn't even get the second. I'm like, Richie, we, we got to pick up the extra base, but we'll yeah. get to that later. <laughs> three run double, but he like stops it. For, anyway hunch that's a hunch there's no data it's jv the kid you know the kid might not the, the pitcher is probably an insurance salesman today there's no there's no baseball future hey we had a kid kids. i gotta tell you this we had a kid that hit a home run because it was it was my last year coaching my son's senior year we had a kid that hit, we had a kid that hit a ball to left center field and we were playing in this municipal park kind of thing where the where the fence was kind of like this wooden kind of rickety just, I mean, it wasn't, it wouldn't have served as a great fence. <laughs> and so the kid hits the ball and I, I'm thinking to myself, that's gone. That, that, that's that got to be gone. And so the outfielder goes out there and he, and, and our kid stops at second base and the umpire goes, what's ground rule double? And no kidding, the left fielder goes, Mr. Umpire, that ball went over the fence. And so the kid, and so the ump immediately goes, home run. And the kid, our kid that's standing on second base goes, I've seen, now I've seen everything. And in this same game, Joe, so we, we're, it's a Christian school. We, we, we the Christ, two Christian schools were playing. The coach comes to us and he says, Hey, we've got a kid that wants to get in at bat. We'd love to get him on base. If you guys can intentionally walk him or something like that. And so we had, to, we had this worked out before the game. And and really neat kid. He had, was a special needs kid, but he had done so much for that team. All the coach wanted to do is just get him in a bat, get him on base. Our kid's working on a no-hitter and accidentally drills this little kid in the back. <laughs> Come on. Throw him out of the game. In the same game, we have a kid on the other team that says, no, it was a home run. And then we're trying to get a kid on base, and the, and the, our pitcher accidentally hits him in the back. Oh, that, that kid still tells that story at the, at the local uh, tavern. Oh, yeah. And and, I, and forgive me for jumping in there, but, you, I mean, it was – you have those moments. When you think about coaching – and now I want to go here for a second. Take me through some of the pressure – of being the youngest college baseball coach in the country and trying to get a program going in the right direction. It's, it, it's a lot like podcasting because you do a lot of work on the front end that nobody sees. Yeah. And, and you're doing a lot of this stuff. You, you're, you're cleaning uniforms at night. You're doing things like that. Take me through how the opportunity presented itself. And then what was one takeaway that you took from, from that whole experience that you go, man, as long as I live, I'll, I'll have that from that part of my life. Well, there's a lot of them. Um, I, I can give you a snapshot to say this. Uh, I coached there from 1999 to 2004. 
and the coach who succeeded me is still the coach there. Wow. So I got to give that guy credit. He obviously found his niche, right? I've gone on to do a podcast, 23 years in the classroom, coached JV, coached varsity at different places, built other programs. Right now, I'm not doing any baseball coaching by choice so that I could focus on things like this, a different form of coaching. But that's a beautiful thing. Now, one of my former players just turned 21, and he's at the college where I formerly coached playing for that player. So there's all these links, right? These links in this 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 chain that we're all working through. I think that's just beautiful. Um, I will say, and this is the risk of opening up an entire different uh, side part of the conversation, but I just always feel obliged to tell people this. When I started, I was 21, and I had a junior on the roster right-handed pitcher 41 years old (laughs) why doesn't that surprise me man i i just wish if i have a regret i wish the internet was in full swing because we would have broke the internet i was 41 years old brian uh, he was 41 years old i was 21 brian i'm 43 today today in my 23rd year teaching I stopped coaching in 2004. He was my age now playing for me. It doesn't even, like, that's a back to the future space-time continuum problem. Like, it doesn't make sense. Did you coach Satchel Paige? Is that the guy you coached? (laughs) He was a junior. He threw 91 innings in a 26-game season the year before I got there. And he was a great human being. Um, Not the most skilled athlete, as you might imagine, but he wanted a bat. He wanted to hit. He wanted to pitch. He wanted to run. He wanted to do it all. I'm sure he knew something about life that I didn't know back then. Kind of that idea of sucking the marrow out of every day, right? Carpe diem. So I look back now and I respect the heck out of him. But then I was trying to change a culture. And when you try to change a culture, it's hard not to ruffle feathers in a competitive sport. And I think maybe I went too far at times. I was intense. I was a yeller at times and I've mellowed out a lot in some ways. My last year coaching baseball, I was a much better coach. And in some ways, I was a weaker coach because I was so patient. I was so deferential. I was so open-minded to kids' issues and, 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 and problems that they were having that I was trying to treat the whole child. So it's it's a pendulum, and it's hard. And I, I just have I have more, re- more respect today for parents and coaches than I ever had when I was doing it. And I think it's incredible. Well, Joe, here's the thing. A lot of people and we've seen this, they, they talk about a guy that's a player's manager or player's coach, and it's code for this guy lets us do what we want to do. This guy lets us basically police ourselves. While I don't think there's a lot of things wrong with that, especially if you've got, in the high school ranks, if you've got a lot of juniors and seniors that are mature, that you can roll the balls and bats out there, and they'll they'll get started with warm-ups, they know how to they they know how to hit to to where you want them to hit, run the bases. That's great, but you still need to give some guidance there. And and a lot of times we can get caught up in in saying, well, if we just let them play, we we just let them play, they'll figure. But the problem is a lot of times if we just let them play, they'll do what they want to do. Yeah. With a three zero count, they'll swing for the fences. Instead of in, instead of you know making that pitcher throw a strike, you know like oh three oh man he's going to throw me a strike and and then just just swing from the heels, instead of being disciplined and, and things like that. I want to pivot here for just a minute and be respectful of your time and and 
man, I've loved this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you. No, thank you, man. And I want you to take me through the biggest obstacle that you faced in life and the lesson that you learned from it. Because again, man, we could, we could talk about obstacles that people have gone through the last 18 months. You mentioned the student that you lost and our condolences to, to that young lady and her family. Um, because again, that, that, that is tragic, no matter the age and things like that. But uh, a quick side aside there, I wanted to mention that, but take me through the biggest obstacle that you've been through. I think the, when you think of obstacles, right, the easiest thing to do, even though it's painful, is to think of the big painful moments. Um, and I think we've all had our share. And I, I think I'm, I've been maybe luckier than, than some. And my wife and I talk about that a lot, just being fortunate and thank God every day for that. Um, I think that just trying to figure out, maybe offer something new to your listeners, is trying to figure out how we best want to go through this life. Because there's no parenting manual, and yet we have two kids. And when you're coaching professionally, you're saying, I, I, I don't know how to do this, but I think I'm going to serve my clients the best they can. And you launch a podcast and you're saying, uh, you know, I don't know, is this against the rules? Uh, am I supposed to talk about baseball? Am I supposed to talk about, you know, the classroom and the same conversation? And I think, you know, the obstacle that I, that I face is just a daily challenge to say, I want to be confident that I'm doing the right thing but I want to have the courage to be able to pivot when it, when it doesn't feel right. Um, so for me, even though I'm not highlighting any of these yearbook moments that are, that are terrible, like I've heard some of your generous guests share, it's all about mindset for me, right? How do I want to show up for people? How do I want to make sure I'm available as a dad and, and as a, and as a partner um, and still chase professional goals, right? There's no work-life balance. Um, but we can, we can search for trade-offs. We can search for that seesaw going down on one end. And I, I could talk about this for a long time, but I'll, I'll summarize it by saying that daily reckoning where you're like, Hey, am I doing the right thing? Is this enough? And maybe, maybe you finally pulled it out of me there at the end, which is I, I I'll end with this anecdote. I, I, uh, I was at a barbecue for a staff, um, member years ago, and this gentleman was close to retirement and he said, well, I'm looking at your calendar. It looks like you're about halfway to your career being over as a teacher and whether or not I'll retire when the time comes is another story. But yeah. he said, let me ask you an exercise. If you went up today and gave a speech about your, your career being over, what would you, you know, think about, what would you regret? What would you, and I said, I don't know if I've done enough. I just don't know if I've done enough. I, uh, I have people come back for reunions, but I don't know if it's enough, Brian. So, you know, maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's, you know, doing the best we can and just wondering if it's, if it's enough, that's, that's a big obstacle. No. And, and I, and I love what you said there and, and where you took the, the conversation, because again, people, and thank you for that, you know, because people have said, well, I've overcome cancer. I've overcome divorce. I've overcome this and that. And Joe, you've really hit on something pretty deep. There is not knowing, and this was the note that I wrote down not knowing if you've done enough, right? Not knowing if at, at the end, of, you know, when, when life finally stops and it's over, like, like again, like that, that, that young lady that you talked about, nobody had any idea that life for her would end in her mid-20s. But then thinking, okay, have you done enough? You know, and, and, and Joe, that's something that I struggle with 
because when my dad passed away, it was a struggle for me. Of, and my son was 12 at the time. He's 21 now. I had to say to myself, man, I, I don't know how much time I've got. So I've got to pour as much into him as I can. And he stepped me back one day and he said, man, you know, you're, you're freaking me out because you, you're making me think you're going to drop dead tomorrow. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to go. And, and I was trying to make sure he had enough, right? Yeah. Hey, I have similar yeah. conversations with my 11 year old. And for a moment, he said the same thing, Brian. He says, you know, well, why don't we talking about it? I don't want you thinking about it. I said, well, no, but I just, I'm approaching it differently. And I'm, I'm lucky enough to still have my father, but I'm just a much more emotional guy. I'm a much more open communicator than my dad. So when I talked to my son at 11, I said, look, I just, I know this is going to sound morbid, but I just want you to know that if you don't see me tomorrow, I know you know what to do. I know you'll never need to worry how much I loved you. And we tell each other every day. And I genuinely think, and I hope I have a hundred years left, but I genuinely think he gets that at 11 years old. I think he gets, now my daughter at eight, I don't think she gets it yet. Yeah. And I love you. I love you there, Charlie. But, but my son, Joey, he, he gets it. And, and it, it sounds morbid to people listening, but if we've touched on a thread at all during this conversation, I, I got to believe it's that we're trying to embrace everything we have. We're trying to give to people. We're trying to fill our own buckets when we can. And uh, yeah, I think it's a very, very valuable exercise to say, do we do enough, but we got to keep moving forward. Oh, absolutely. Joe, man, I, I would be remiss if we didn't end this conversation this way. Take me through your biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you've got for folks today. Let's go right to questions, right? Like you're going to get off this podcast and you're going to have a chance to talk to the next human being that you talk to. And I'm wondering, how will you make it count? And I don't mean pressure. I don't put pressure on yourself, but you're going to open the conversation with a question, most likely. And it's going to probably maybe be a small talk question. How you doing? How's your day? Just shift it. Just go instead of how was your day? What was the highlight of your day? Right there. Boom. We go one. We talk about 1% better. What was the highlight of your day? And then you're going to sit down with your, your kids or your spouse at dinner and you're going to say, what was the biggest thing you messed up today? Because here's what I messed up. And you're going to show vulnerability and you're going to ask an unique, unique question that's going to provide a, a great story. And, and just micro action by micro action, every single question you ask, you're going to be 1% more mindful. You're going to say, if I could just ask it a little bit more clearly, and then you're going to get the hang of being clear and you're going to get a little bit more clever and you're going to say, I wonder if I could word this in a funny way. And then you start thinking about it, right? Questions are clear. Questions could be open-ended. Questions can come from a place of curiosity. I want to encourage people to be super, super intentional with how they ask their questions without getting to paralysis. Because as we mentioned in this conversation, we don't regret not asking the perfect question, but each time we have a conversation with a person, we have an opportunity to ask a better question than the last time. Yeah. And my son, if I would say, what was the highlight of your day? He would do a sports center. He'd go, let's go to the highlights, dad. <laughs> Love it. And you know what I do with that? I play right along. So he says something. Yeah. And I just keep going. I go, well, take me through it. When you had the nachos, what were you thinking? Yeah. And then he goes, well, they were a little too spicy. I wish they were blah, blah, blah. And you go, if you could think about the most spicy food you've ever had in your life, what would it be? And we just, we play. Conversation yeah. can be playful. Maybe we didn't do that enough because we got to deep waters today. But I also want to tell people conversation can be playful. As long as it comes from a beautiful place, conversation can be playful too. I love that. 
conversation can be playful. And and I, I do that with my son a lot of times too, especially when he's having a bad day. I'll intentionally turn that conversation in different ways. Sometimes it annoys him. Sometimes he's like, yeah, I get, get what dad's doing there. But I'm, I'm glad we went where we went. I, I love the, the insight that you brought. Joe, tell folks where they can connect with you, how they can find your podcast. You, you just promote yourself, man. Just, just go for it, you know? <laughs> well, I think uh, if you want to keep the conversation going on Twitter, like you said in the beginning at the top, it's Ferraro on air. My last name, F-E-R-R-A-R-O on air. Named that years ago when I didn't know what I was doing. Um, the other place where I try to keep one-stop shopping is this idea of damngoodconversations.com. And that's the most harsh word I say all the way over there. I always tell people that. I always thought about a darngoodconversations.com spinoff. But the point is damngoodconversations.com is where I try to house everything, whether you want to have a better conversation or you want me to host a conversation or you want to do some coaching or you want to listen to the podcast. I think that's a great place to find out and dip your toes in tons of free content. And, uh, I guess the last thing is you'll find the course that I just uh, released there. Uh, it's, it's a conversation called damn good questions. Uh, excuse me. It's a, it's a course called damn good questions. And it's about all the things we talked about. How do you ask better questions on a daily basis? Man, that's so good. And, and folks, again, I promised you you're going to get 1% better. And, and in a lot of ways, we've gotten 10% better. And, and so, Joe Ferraro, man, you're the best. I really appreciate you joining me today on the Intentional Encourager Podcast. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.